Oh, Father, thank you so much for your mercy that has been extended to each of us. Father, thank you for the kindness that you have shown to us this week. And even in the the things that we deem as good and even in the things that we deem as difficult, because we know both are used for our sanctification and our growth. We thank you that you love us with an everlasting love, that you uh, bend down your ear to listen to our prayers and you're eager to um, to listen and to answer according to your will. I thank you that we can come boldly to your throne of grace even this evening and pray for those that are not with us, that you would draw them close to your side, that they would trust in you even during the trials that each of them are going through. I do pray for our time together, Lord, as we gather around your precious word, that we would not take that lightly that we have privilege to come and to study and to learn and to fellowship with like-minded sisters in the Lord. And so, Father, uh, help us, give us grace tonight as we study and as we think and as we uh, share together. And I pray this for Christ's sake and his glory. Amen. Well, the following is a true story about a young missionary named Raymond Edmond. And he was a missionary actually in Ecuador And one day he was coming back from a mission trip and he stumbled in through uh, from the jungle and he was desperately ill. He went to go see the doctor and the doctor said, you know what, this guy is going to be dead by morning. And so Edmund's wife, she dyed her wedding dress black so it would be ready for the funeral because in the tropics they would have uh, funerals right away. However, thousands of miles away in Boston, Edmund's friend, Dr. Joseph Evans, interrupted a prayer meeting saying this, I feel we must pray for Ray Edmund in Ecuador. So the group prayed earnestly until finally Evans called out, Praise the Lord, the victory is won. Now, the rest is often repeated history. Raymond Edmund recovered. His wife's dress did not. And Dr. Edmund went on to become the president of Wheaton College and to minister for 40 more years. Now, ladies, this true story affirms the power of intercessory prayer. And so by way of opening this evening, I ask each one of you, do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you really believe in the power of prayer? You know, Paul did. He prayed a lot. He prayed for all the churches that he started and even others that he didn't start that he was burdened for. And my question to myself is, how did he pray? What did he pray for the churches that he was burdened for? What elements were included in the churches that he prayed for? You know, Paul's prayer requests are a little bit different than ours. They were rich. uh, They weren't rote. They weren't mundane. Each of the churches that he prayed for, he prayed specifically based on the needs for the churches. It wasn't like some of our church, uh, some of our prayers that I've heard from time to time. And it was, I was reminded of a prayer that I used to pray with my children uh, back in my young, uh, I guess, before Christ days. But I'd read to him out of this little prayer book and it said, um, God sees the moon. God sees me. God bless the moon. God bless me. And that sounds like some of our prayers that we pray today. But Paul's prayers were not like that. Paul's prayers were very rich, and he prayed specific things for the specific churches that he was praying for. And so tonight as we come to a portion in Colossians, Colossians 3, 9 to 11, 
we're going to see what he prayed for the church at Colossae. And so let's read it together, and then we will uh, have a little outline before we get into our study this evening. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, for those of you that weren't here last week, we saw a couple of things in our outline. We saw that Paul and Timothy were, first of all, thankful to God for the Colossian believers. Secondly, they were thankful for the four good things. They commended the Colossian believers for four things, their faith, their hope, their love, and their fruit bearing. And then lastly, we saw that they were thankful for a certain individual. We saw this guy in our first lesson, and they mentioned him last week as we were together, and that is for Epaphras. They were thankful for Epaphras, the pastor that walked a 1,000 miles from Colossae to Rome to bring the news of what was going on there at the church at Colossae to Paul. And also they were thankful because he was the one that presented the gospel, the word of truth to the Colossian believers. Now Paul kind of turns from that and he is going to start with his prayer that he has for the church at Colossae. And because this prayer is so rich in meaning, we are going to take two weeks to go through it. Uh, tonight, we are going to just look at the petitions of Paul's prayer. That's how he starts. He starts with petitions. And then next time we're together, we'll look at the praise portion of his prayer. And so tonight, we'll look at his petitions, verses 9 to 11, and then next time, verses 12 through 14. And, you know, this is usually... Uh, the opposite of what we're taught. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian, one of the things that I was told was I, I needed to use the Acts method of praying. In other words, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And yet we see Paul doing it backwards. He petitions first, and then he praises last. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think anything in the Word of God is a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence because I think Paul is trying to get them away from those traditions of men. In fact, he's going to say in chapter 2, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. And so it's just possible that Paul's going to, you know, change the praying up, praying up a little bit and start with uh, petitions and then go to the praise portion. I will say this, however. Um, I will say both of these elements are important as we pray. We should petition God when we come to him and pray in prayer, and we also should praise him. Both are very important. And so Paul begins his prayer by praying, verse 9, if you'll follow along with me. He says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you. Now, Paul begins by saying, For this reason we pray. And so this begs us to ask the question, for what reason? What is he talking about? What is the reason you are praying, Paul? Well, if you'll recall, last week when we had our lesson together, we saw that Epaphras brought what? He brought some good news about the church at Colossae, right? Their faith, their hope, their love, their fruit bearing. But you know what? 
he also brought some bad news. And we'll see this when we get into chapter 2. They were involved in legalism, asceticism, mysticism, angel work, astrology. They were involved in all kinds of things. The, the Gnostic teachers were coming in and teaching them false doctrine. We're going to see this when we get into chapter 3. Remember the Gnostics taught that it didn't matter what you did with your body. You could fornicate. You could do anything you wanted with your body and it didn't matter. You weren't responsible. That's why in, Paul, in chapter 3 Paul will say, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't lie to each other. Uh, No, you guys put this stuff off. And so Paul says, for this reason, we are praying. Not only because of the good news that Epaphras has brought, that you guys are doing good, but also because of the bad news. I mean, you guys have, you're starting to kind of believe this Gnostic heresy. And so he says, we are praying for you. Now, if you were here last week, And if you were here the first week, you know who the we is, right? Who is the we? Paul and Timothy. And so he says, since the day we heard it, we are praying for you. Now, this does not mean that Paul prayed for them 24 hours a day. That would be impossible, right? But it does mean he never forgot to pray for them. Since this day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you. You know, I was thinking about this even in my own life. I remember when the flood hit Houston and my daughter had just moved there, her and her family. And uh, when Hurricane Harvey came, you know, I, I would go to bed praying for my daughter and her family and the situation there. I'd wake up praying for her. I'd think about her through all the day. And, and uh, in fact, a couple times I just found myself weary and tired and kind of discouraged. And I thought, why is, why is that happening? That's not like me. I'm not prone to depression or anything. And she was just naturally on our mind, my mind. I went to bed thinking about her and the situation and how tragic it was. And I woke up thinking about it. And that's That's kind of what Paul's saying. You know, there's some people we just always have on our mind. And can you imagine uh, this church that is being infiltrated with false teaching and Paul loves them? He's burdened for them. In fact, he talks in Corinthians about the the weight that he has for all the churches. He's burdened for them. And so he probably, you know, goes to bed chained to the prison guard with the church at Colossae on his mind. He wakes up and they're on his mind. And so he and Timothy are praying for them, not only because of the good news they received, but because of the bad news. And ladies, I think this is a reminder to us because many times what we do in our praying, we tend to pray more when we hear about bad news, right? As soon as I hear about Hurricane Harvey or as soon as I hear about someone that might be falling away from the faith, I got to really pray for this person. I got to really fast. I got to really pray for this person. But you know what? Paul says we begin to pray the the day we heard it and not just the bad news, but the good news. You guys are doing good in some areas. And, you know, I think we would be wise women to pray even when we hear, hey, did you hear so-and-so? They're really tracking with the Lord. I mean, they're really growing. They're, They're learning. You know what? That's when we should probably pray even more. You know why? Because Satan would like nothing more than to come and to steal that joy, that fruit, that growth. And so we should pray for both. When someone's doing great, 
And when someone's doing not so great, we should be praying. And notice he says here, they started praying the day they heard it. And, of course, the we is he and Timothy. And I was thinking about this. Uh, even today I had lunch with uh, a friend that used to disciple me, and I was telling uh, Leah a while ago that uh, we would pray one or two. Ever, you know, you talk about discipleship. This woman's serious. And uh, so, you know, we would meet six hours, a day, uh, not a day, but every week we met six hours in one day. And two of those hours was spent praying. And I was thinking, what a joy it must have been for Paul and Timothy to be praying together and praying not just for the church at Colossae, but praying for all the churches. And ladies, what a joy it is to have a like-minded friend that you can pray your one heart, one soul, and you can pray for the churches and for, for needs. And we know that Timothy, uh, Paul said about Timothy, he was the only one that was like-minded, the only one that was like-minded with him. And I thought, man, they must have had a grand time uh, praying together for all the churches. And I find it encouraging. They begin to pray. Notice what they say, what Paul says, the day they heard it. The very day they got the news, probably the very day Epaphras walks in, 1,000 miles. Can you imagine how dirty that guy is after 1,000 miles, you know, dusty and dirty? And he comes in there to prison, tells Paul what's going on, and Paul says, the moment I heard it, I started praying for you. And ladies, you know what? There's no time like the present. I hope that in your own prayer life, when you're talking to a friend on the phone or somebody's sending you an email, in fact, uh, right before I came here, I got a, a answer to a, of a prayer request of a lady this morning that asked me to pray about something. And, you know, this morning when she sent me that text and I was doing something else, and I said, I will pray right now. Because what happens to me, if I tell you I'll pray for you, I usually forget if I don't do it right then. And so there's no time like the present. And that's what Paul says. As soon as we heard about it, we started praying for you guys. In fact, Paul goes on to say that they did not cease to pray for them. And so that has the idea of praying without ceasing. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we are to pray without ceasing. Now, since Paul's saying that they're praying, what does the word pray mean? Well, it actually embraces everything that is included in prayer. It would include thanksgiving. It would include in asking special prayer requests and petitioning. It would include everything that is involved in praying. So with that in mind, what are the things that Paul and Timothy pray for, for the church at Colossae? Well, there are seven prayer requests, and we're going to only look at six tonight because next week, the seventh petition actually leads in to the praise portion of Paul's prayer. And so tonight we're going to look at six prayer requests. So let's look at the first one. The first request that they pray is that the church at Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the question we have to answer is, what is he praying? What is the difference between wisdom and spiritual understanding? Is there a difference? There is a difference. The Greek word for wisdom is Sophia. And the word means a practical knowledge that comes from God that gives us the ability to gather and organize principles from Scripture. So wisdom is spiritual, it's practical. And Paul is very careful as he prays this because it is not the wisdom, the false wisdom of the false teachers that were infiltrating the church at Colossae. 
But it's wisdom that comes from God. And ladies, you want to know if you have wisdom that comes from God? James tells us the wisdom that is from above is what? Pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. The wisdom that comes from below is what? Earthly, sensual, demonical. It produces envy and strife. And so as you look at the word of God and you ask for wisdom and God gives you wisdom, it should produce purity peace, gentleness. If you ask for wisdom and you've got all kinds of envy and strife and confusion going on, that is not from God. And if you know anything about false teachers, if you've ever listened to any, it does kind of give you that, that, you know, that envy, that strife. And so Paul's saying, no, I'm praying that you will have wisdom. Now, what is spiritual understanding? He says, I'm praying that you'll have wisdom, but also spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding speaks of clear analysis and decision-making in applying this knowledge to various problems. So let me give it to you simply. You get that wisdom that comes from God, from the word of God. Then a situation comes up, and you know how to apply it. That is spiritual understanding. You take the wisdom you get from God, a situation comes in your life, and you go, oh, I know what to do. That is spiritual understanding. And, you know, only believers have that. You know, the natural man cannot discern the things of God. It's foolishness unto him. But it's the spiritual man, the spiritual woman, that can understand the things of Christ. Paul speaks of that in 1 Corinthians 2. Well, if you'll notice here, Paul doesn't just ask for wisdom and spiritual understanding for the Colossians, but he goes a step further. He's asking that they will be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know what he's saying? I am praying for you guys that you will be completely and totally controlled with God's wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, ladies, you can pray that for me anytime you want to, okay? If you ever get bored, if you have a bored, a, a bored moment tomorrow, you can pray that for me, okay? What a great prayer request. That's why I encourage you this week, pray Paul's prayer for somebody. What a rich prayer request. And we're only on the first, the first prayer request. Now, Paul uses a word here that would cause the Colossian readers to perk up. You know what the word is? Knowledge. Knowledge. Because the word knowledge is not gnosis, which means to know experientially. That's what the Gnostics taught and practiced. You need to have an experience. You need to have a revelation. You need to worship angels. You need the experience. They were looking for the novel stuff, the new stuff. But you know the word that Paul uses here for knowledge? It's epigenosis. Very different. Very different than gnosis. Epikinosis is heart-transforming and life-changing. The word actually means to grasp and penetrate an object, and the object here is God. I mean, you know him. You grasp him. Ladies, the knowledge that Paul is speaking of here is a far-reaching and satisfying knowledge than what the Gnostics offered. The false teachers offered an appearance of wisdom. They were showy with their wisdom. They were teaching the Colossian believers, you know, hey, you need a special knowledge. You need a gnosis. You know, they said, you know, Christ is a good place to start, but that's not enough. You need Christ plus something else, and then you'll be in the know. 
In fact, we might say in our day and age, and it's taught in many churches, you need Christ plus experience, or you need Christ plus psychology, or you need Christ plus psychotropic drugs, or you need Christ plus new age, or you need Christ plus karma. In fact, the other day I heard, I saw where a guy, he said he was praying for Mexico and the earthquake they just had, but along with his prayer, he was also sending his karma. And I'm like, really? And so, you know, Christ is not enough. We have to add karma. We have to have new age. We have to have experience. We have to have drugs. And so Paul confronts us and he says, no, I'm praying for you guys that you'll have a different knowledge. Not the experience knowledge. Not what the Gnostics are telling you. I'm praying you'll have a knowledge that is heart transforming. And he, it's very clear because he says the knowledge, if you'll notice, the knowledge of his will. Very different than what the false teachers were teaching, right? The knowledge of his will. And ladies, you know the only way you're going to know God's will? You're probably so tired of me telling you this every week. But this book right here, right? The 66 letters he's left us. That is the only way that you're going to know the will of God is to be in his word. In fact, Paul knew this. If you have read any uh, other than Colossians, if you've read Pauline's, any of Paul's epistles or his letters, do you know that Paul spends the majority of his time when he writes to a church, the majority of his writing is about doctrine? In fact, in Romans, do you know he spends 11 chapters on doctrine before 12 to 16, which is practical? Galatians, four chapters of doctrine, the last two, practical. Ephesians, three doctrine, the last three, practical. Colossians, two doctrine, the last two are practical. Most of Paul's epistles are mainly all doctrine. Paul knew it was important that we, if we're going to have wisdom, we have to understand this book right here. In fact, I heard of a man one time, and he said, you know, I'm sick of doctrine. Sick of doctrine. Ladies, that's dangerous, right? You know what Hosea says in Hosea 4, 6? My people are destroyed. Why? For lack of knowledge. Ladies, we would do well to remember Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I will say this, if all we do, if all you're coming for this year is to get more knowledge about the the book of Colossians, that can be very dangerous too. Because just having knowledge without practicing what you hear is very dangerous. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says knowledge puffs up. (laughs) Knowledge is important. But ladies, we must apply the knowledge that we have some of us want knowledge without any duty right you want to come in you want to learn more facts about the bible but you don't want to go out that door tonight at 8 30 and then go apply what you learned that's very dangerous too i hope you take the truths of god's word that you hear week after week not just on tuesday night but whatever church you're in you hear the truths of god's word and you go out those church doors with a determination to obey what you've heard because ladies you don't want to come and just audit every tuesday night that's a danger james says you've deceived yourself if you're just coming here to audit class and not go out and do the homework and i'm not talking about the literal homework i'm talking about the work that god wants you to do in your life and that's what paul's praying for them now notice before we go on paul prays for all the saints that's very important he's praying for all of them you might say well susan why that why is that important because this is in contrast to what the false teachers taught 
They taught that special knowledge was just for a select few. And ladies, I've met some people like that right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that look down on others and say, well, you're just not in the know. You just don't have that special whatever it is that comes from God. And Paul is saying, no, no, I'm praying for all the saints, not just the elite, the Gnostics. That's what they taught. I'm praying for all that they will be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, there's a reason, and the reason he prays this is found in verse 10. And here we have our second petition for the Colossian believers. He said, I'm also praying you'll walk worthy of the Lord. And so the second prayer request is a good one that follows the first one. Because, ladies, listen very carefully. You cannot walk worthy if you do not have the knowledge of God and his word and the wisdom on how to live. You cannot walk worthy if you do not know what this book says. Now, what does it mean to walk worthy? Well, the word worthy means equal weight. In other words, do you know as we walk, our standards should equal, you might look at my hands, equal the Lord's. We are to be holy as he's holy. We are, we are to equal his standards. We are to conduct ourselves in harmony with the gospel. You know what simply what Paul is praying? Walk your talk. Walk your talk. Ladies, it's one thing for a believer to have knowledge, but it's essential that we act out the knowledge we have. And, you know, I think there's nothing more heartbreaking than for a Christian who talks Christianity but doesn't walk Christianity, right? Johnny Erickson Tata, who many of you know was... um, injured and she's a paraplegic she put it well she said to walk with god we must break make it a practice to talk with god i thought that was good since we're looking at prayer but ladies we are to walk worthy of the vocation of which we have been called in fact paul adds this as they walk worthy of the lord they will fully please him in other words as we walk we should do it with a desire to please the lord just like uh, a child delights to please their earthly father or their earthly mother We should delight to please our Heavenly Father. In fact, I think it's interesting that in Hebrews 11.5, it says that before Enoch's translation into heaven, it says it had this testimony that he pleased God. And you might say, why is that interesting? Because we know that what? Enoch walked with God, and he was not, right? So his walking with God uh, led him to be pleasing to the Lord. Now, to the Gnostics, this would be nonsense, okay? To walk worthy? Are you kidding? You know why? They said the body was evil, right? Remember that from our first lesson? So it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It gives me all kinds of license to sin. I can fornicate with it. I can cheat. I can steal. I can lie. I can gossip. I can slander. I can do any. I can have outbursts of wrath because I'm not responsible for what I do in my body. And Paul's saying, no, don't listen to that false teaching. It matters. You must walk worthy. In fact, Paul says, I'm praying that you will walk worthy with a view to please the Lord. To the Gnostics, this would be nonsense. It really would. They would say, no way. You don't have to do that. But ladies, being filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding is not nonsense. It's good sense. In fact, uh, it's something that we all should be practicing. 
Now, the rest of the petitions really fall under this heading of pleasing God, because ladies, if we're pleasing God, we will be fruitful in every good work. We will increase in the knowledge of God. We will be patient, practicing long suffering with joy, and we will give thanks. And so it just kind of falls under that heading of walking worthy. And so Paul continues to pray, and he moves on to his third request for the Colossians, and that is that they would be fruitful in every good work. Now, remember, we brought out last week, one of the things that Colossian believers were known for was what? Their fruit bearing. Their fruit bearing. And so it should be natural, ladies, for all of us, not just the Colossian believers, but for all of us to bear fruit. In fact, the participle here in the Greek, being fruitful, is in the present tense, which means it's continuous. I'm praying that you will bear fruit, not just today, but tomorrow, next week, a year from now, ten years from now. You should be bearing fruit. Ladies, did you know that's the norm for all believers? Jesus says, I, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. You should bring forth fruit, and we're to bring forth a lot of fruit. And we should always be bringing forth fruit. And you might say, well, what's fruit? Well, if you did your homework this week, you saw some types of fruit. Fruit has different shapes, different colors, different uh, aspects of it. But every one of us in this room who's a born-again believer should be producing some type of fruit. Sometimes it's visible. You know, Jesus says, by their fruit, you will know them. So sometimes we can actually and we should be able to see visible fruit in others' lives. Sometimes it's inward. Uh, sometimes it's those inward things that need to change. Our attitude, uh, that that love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Sometimes those are, you know, outwardly we can pretend we're being patient. We can pretend we're being joyful. But inwardly, you know, we want to kill somebody or we're not. And so it's not just the outward fruit that needs to be changed and be growing but it's also the inward heart and so paul says he says i'm praying that you would be fruitful in every good work this means that their fruit would be profitable or useful in everything that they do now as the colossian believers walk worthy of the lord with a view to please him and as they're fruitful in every good work then it's only natural they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. And so, ladies, this is the fourth request for them. And the word for knowledge is the same Greek word as in verse 9. And you know what? If you have been listening, this is the second time that Paul prays regarding their knowledge. Anytime something is repeated in Scripture, it is repeated to give emphasis. And so I assume from that, this heresy that the false teachers were trying to bring into the church was very grave. It was very serious. It had crept into the church, and it was a real problem. And so Paul doesn't want them to just be filled with knowledge as he's already prayed, but he says, I want you to increase in knowledge. Ladies, don't be content with status quo. You know, I've been a Christian now for 31 years. Hard to believe. So I've been a Christian longer than I was a pagan. So you can do the math and tell, I'll tell you how old I am. But uh, for 31 years now, I've been a believer. And you know what? I know hardly anything. I know very little about the Bible. I need to be increasing in knowledge. We need to keep growing. We need to keep learning. And Paul says, I'm praying that you will increase in knowledge. In fact, Peter understood this need just like Paul did. He writes to the persecuted Christians in 2 Peter, and he says, You therefore, beloved, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led astray with the error of the wicked. And then he says, But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
Ladies, we all need to be growing. Paul says, I pray that you will grow in your knowledge of God. Ladies, we need to be praying that for each other. I am shocked at the number of women I know that never even open their Bible. They've never even read their Bible. They don't even know what the Bible says. And I think they're content. You know, I know John 3.16, and that's all I need to know. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten. That's all they need to know. But, ladies, we need to be growing in knowledge. And you might say, well, Susan, why should I be increasing in the knowledge of God? I mean, you don't understand. I've got 25 children, and, you know, I've got, uh, I've got you know, 25 piles of laundry at home. And you don't understand. I don't have time. I, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying my best life now. I don't have time to increase in the knowledge of God. Well, I'm going to give you five reasons why you should be growing in your knowledge. These are not mine, by the way, but they're very excellent. Number one, it will stabilize your faith. It'll stabilize your faith. The verse I just read, they were being led away by the evil one. And Peter says, grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies, I don't know of a time in my 61 years that our world has been so rattled. And the church is in a mess. And I'm not talking about this church necessarily. I'm just talking about the church of Jesus Christ is in a mess. We need to be increasing in knowledge so we our faith is stable, which leads me to the second reason you need to be increasing in your knowledge. It'll stabilize you during time of testing. Proverbs one twelve seven says this, When evil tidings come, the righteous man, his heart is fixed. He's not concerned that North Korea is going to blow us up. He's not concerned that he just found out he has cancer. His heart is fixed. Ladies, what is going to stabilize you during when you get the biggest blow that you've ever had in your life? What is going to stabilize you? I'll tell you <laughs> when you if you've increased in the knowledge of God and you know who this God is that you worship and love and obey, that will help you during times of testing. Number three, the third reason you should be increasing in knowledge, it'll enable you to handle scripture accurately. It will enable you to handle scripture accurately. Paul says this, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Ladies, we need to be studying God's word. We need to be memorizing it. We need to be reading it. Ladies, we need to be diligent so we can handle scripture accurately. There's enough people in this world that are handling it inaccurately. And so we need to handle it accurately. Number four. The fourth reason you need to be increasing in knowledge is because it will equip you to detect error. Ladies, there are many false teachers out there, many false prophets. And Jesus says as we close down the end of the age, they're going to be on the increase. And if possible, they will deceive the very elect. And John warns us, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are of God. How are you going to discern a false teacher? The only way you're going to discern, be able to discern false teaching and false teachers is by knowing what the real thing says, right? The truth. Once you know the truth, you'll be able to discern it. And so it will help you to detect error. And lastly, lastly, the fifth reason you should be increasing in the knowledge of God, it will make you confident in your daily walk. You will be able to walk in wisdom. As, as people come to you, as we're going to see in Colossians 4, when outsiders come and ask you of the hope that is within you, what makes you different? Are you going to be able, are you confident enough to share the gospel and to share, you know, if they're going through a struggle, give counsel, give hope, give help? And so, ladies, as we increase in knowledge, it makes us confident in our daily walk. 
to be able to help others and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we now come to Paul's fifth request for the Colossian Christians in verse 11. He says, I'm praying that you're strengthened with all might according to his glorious power with all patience and long suffering with joy. And so the fifth request is for them to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. What is this? Well, the word strengthen with all might means to be invigorated with all vigor. (laughs) Say that a few times, invigorated with all vigor. And this strength is continuous, and we are being continually strengthened with the power of God. Ladies, our strength cannot come by our own power. It's impossible. It is impossible. But because we have that dynamite, the Greek word is, di- is actually an English word, dynamite. Because we have that dynamite power, that same power that resurrected Christ from the dead, then we are strengthened. We're continually strengthened by his glorious power. Ladies, God's power is available to us. It is continuous. It is limitless. Why? Because God's power is our source. <laughs> And he never runs out of power, right? He never runs out of strength. He's amazing. And so it's always available to us. And, you know, this is an appropriate prayer request for the church at Colossae. Because the Colossian believers would need that inner power to withstand the heresy that was creeping into the church. And so Paul says, I'm praying that you will be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. But you know what? They would also need that power, and ladies, you need that power too, for the sixth and final prayer request, and that is to have patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. How's that? That's one we all need, right? What is that? That is God's strength in us. Ladies, as we have that power that comes from God only, then we can be patient and long-suffering with joy. So, number six on Paul's prayer request for the church at Colossae is that they would be patient and long suffering with joy. Now, what is patience? You might say, well, that's what I don't have. Well, maybe after tonight you can learn a little bit about it and start putting patience on. Patience is actually endurance to remain under and hold your position. Patience is grace. To bear up in spite of every hardship and every trial. A person who is patient doesn't despair. They deal with circumstances in a God-honoring way. Affliction, suffering, persecution. That's patience. What is long-suffering? Long-suffering has more to do with being long-tempered. This is someone who practices self-restraint, does not hastily retaliate. In fact, long-suffering characterizes a person who refuses to yield to passions or outbursts of anger. They don't become provoked by people. They don't become angry with people. In fact, one man describes it as a long holding out of the mind before it gives room to action or passions. So you might say, well, what's the difference? Patient, being patient, is more in respect of circumstances or events in our life, whereas long-suffering is more in respect of difficult people 
in our life, okay? So when you talk about being patient, it's those circumstances that come into my life that might irritate me, uh, those difficult things, but long-suffering has more to do in respect of people and not becoming angry with them. Now, ladies, a lack of patience often results in losing heart, depression, being despondent. A lack of being long-suffering towards others often leads to wrath or revenge. Now, is being patient and long-suffering always easy for us as Christians? They're good. I'm so glad to see some honest women down here. They're saying, no, it's not. But you know what? It is attainable because what? We have that dynamite power that Paul just prayed working within us to accomplish those virtues. You know, I think I've told you before I became a Christian, Doug said, I'm going to put on your tombstone. She did it her way. So that tells you I was not a very patient woman, nor was I very long suffering. And uh, he used to always remind me of the meaning of my name, Tender Lily, Tender Lily, because I wasn't very tender. And I certainly was a little Lily. And he used to say, you don't always have to express your opinion, Susan. And so, you know, when God saved me, I, you know, I had to start working on that. That was probably one of my worst besetting sins was outbursts of wrath and trying to be patient and long-suffering. But, ladies, the Lord, that inner power, that helps us. You know, you listen to that still, small voice that says, Don't say that, Susan Joy, heck. Don't do that, Susan Joy, heck. Don't get angry. And you know what? The Lord never gives us more than we can bear, does he? And He is, isn't he a wonderful example of someone? He's patient with you, isn't he? I mean, I don't know about you, but I should be zapped already. And, and he's long-suffering with me. Every day he's long-suffering because every day I sin and his mercy is extended with me. And ladies, he was long-suffering with the most difficult people, wasn't he? And the most difficult circumstances. And so his promises are true and he will not give us more than we can bear. Now, as Paul ends his petition, he gives an attitude that should accompany this patience and long-suffering. What's the attitude? Joy. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, a, it's as if it's not hard enough to be patient and long-suffering. Now he's saying with joy? Are you kidding me? What does that mean? It means gladness of heart, good cheer. You know, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? You can tell, I mean, some Christians, you can tell when they're under a heavy load or they're discouraged, they're despondent, or they're angry because it shows in their face, right? It's gloomy, it's sour, you know, they kind of, how are you doing? I'm fine, you know. There's no joy at all. And yea, ladies, for all of us, we should be filled with a sense of joy that God is able to help us in all our circumstances and with all our difficult people, right? We can be like Paul, sorrowful but always rejoicing. We can be that. Well, let's review the six petitions for the church at Colossae. First of all, Paul and Timothy pray they will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Would you say your life is filled with the knowledge of his will? Are you taking in a steady diet of the word of God so that you will understand doctrine? Does your life manifest that you live out the biblical principles that you know? Secondly, Paul prays that they would walk worthy of the Lord with a view to please him. If I were to ask your closest family members or friends, if you walk in a manner that pleases the Lord, what would they tell me? 
Is your life equal with the standards that God has asked of you? Thirdly, Paul and Timothy pray that they would be fruitful in every good work. What is some of the fruit that you have manifested in your life this week, both visible and invisible? Are you producing more fruit this year than last year? Fourthly, they pray that they would increase in the knowledge of God. Have you grown in your knowledge of God this past year? What new facts have you learned about God and his word in this past year? Has it changed the way you live? Number five, they pray that we be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Do you pray for God to strengthen you with his mighty power for situations or people that you need help with? How has God strengthened you in the past? And then lastly, Paul and Timothy pray that they would be patient and long-suffering with joyfulness. What difficult situations do you find yourself in tonight? Is there anyone in your life that is testing your ability to be long-suffering? Do you find yourself more patient and more long-suffering as the years go by? Do you find that inner joy in all circumstances and people knowing that God is the blessed controller of every event and every person in your life? Do you really trust God with those irregular people and those difficult trials? Now, maybe you could not answer those questions the way you would have liked to have answered those questions. Could it be the problem is that you haven't prayed about these things? Do you believe in the power of prayer? As I asked in the beginning, do you really believe in the power of prayer? If so, does your life show that by time that you spend in prayer, not just for yourself, but for others? In fact, if you did not do the homework this week and pray Paul's prayer for yourself or somebody else, I hope that you will. In fact, you should pray it every day for yourself, right? It's very practical. Pray it for all your friends. Pray it for your husband. Pray it for your family. Pray it for your church. Ladies, there is power in intercessory prayer, and the Apostle Paul knew it. What priceless gift Paul gave to the Colossian believers right there in prison. He gave them the gift of prayer and a rich prayer. What priceless gift we can leave to our children, our grandchildren, our family and friends by giving them the gift of intercessory prayer. I trust the Lord will help us to be women of prayer. And I pray that this prayer encourages you. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the heart of the Apostle Paul. Father, I thank you for this dear brother that we have that one day we're going to see in heaven. Can't wait to meet him. And Lord, I pray that you will give us burden like you gave him for people caught up in false teaching. I pray that you will give us a burden like you did him, even though we are going through our own trials of being chained and like he was to a soldier. And some of us might feel like we're chained to housework or chained to this or chained to that. But still, he didn't even think about himself. He was praying for a church a thousand miles away. And so, Lord, I pray that you will give us burdens for others, that you will give us the desire to be women of prayer, that we would intercede for our brothers and sisters, not just the ones that are our closest friends, but, Lord, people all around the world and the United States that need our prayers. 
And thank you for this rich prayer, the prayer that pertains specifically to the church at Colossae and their needs. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide us now as we go into our groups. I pray that you would bless our time together, that it might be used for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.